Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Mike Peterson, Bitcoiner, missionary, and resident of El Zante, otherwise known as Bitcoin Beach. We talk about the difference Bitcoin has made in El Salvador, the story of how it all began, and the implications on the Salvadoran identity. We also talk about El Salvador's government, the culture, and the future. Mike Pearson, how's everything going, man? Ah, it's amazing. Yeah. So glad you finally made it here. What took you so long? Yeah, so we're, of course, recording from Bitcoin Beach over at the Garten Hotel. This is, I swear, this is like paradise, man. I, I mean, obviously, you've been here a while, but I see why you've been here. I, like, this is amazing. People never believe me when I tell them how nice it is and how, how much they'll enjoy their time here, but yeah. they're always pleasantly surprised. So that's a good thing, I guess. Uh, yeah, and it's a beautiful place. The beaches are nice. The you know, there's all sorts of surfers around, and you know, the weather is just absolutely perfect. You know, and of course, there's lots of good food and stuff like that. So, yeah, if you haven't been here as a Bitcoiner, I, I think you need to be. But yeah, you know, this episode today is about Bitcoin Beach and what happened and how it came and stuff. So, before we get into all that can you tell my audience like uh, you know what's your story how'd you end up here you know what brought you to this place and what was it like when you first got here yeah i've always loved traveling i mean that's mm -hmm. been a passion since i was young after mm -hmm. graduating from university i spent six months traveling around the world i think we hit up like 20 different countries from like we drove in a car down from through guatemala uh -huh. uh, an ambulance actually that was donated <laughs> to some people working in healthcare there uh -huh. We crossed India, Bangladesh, we're in the north of Russia, mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. in Africa, Vietnam. And so that kind of like mm -hmm. made me passionate about travel. Mm. Ironically, on that trip, I did not visit El Salvador. I made it to Guatemala, <laughs> but not quite there. And I think about 20 years ago, a little less than 20 years ago, a buddy of mine wanted to go on a surf trip. And mm -hmm. we were just looking around at where the cheapest tickets were. <laughs> and, and there happened to be some from El Salvador. We knew uh -huh. there was good waves there. And so mm. we booked a trip. and. It was weird because I'd traveled quite a bit, but I'd never been to a place where I felt so comfortable so quickly as uh. El Salvador. I'm sure you've experienced the people here. They're just so incredibly friendly. If you want to interact with them, they're, they're happy to interact with you and they're very welcoming. But also if you want to be left alone, they leave you alone. They're not trying to sell you stuff all the time. And so it was just, there was something different about this place. And so I called my wife up and said, we have to come back and buy a house. And so literally a month later, we came back and bought a house. Wow. And what year was that? That was 2005, I believe. Okay. And so you buy the house. Okay. What was this place like when you bought it or on your first trip over to El Salvador? So at that time, El Zante was just a very sleepy beach town. There were surfers, the kind of more adventurous mm -hmm. European or American surfers that were tourists here. Mm. There was a lot of uh, people to come out of the capital city of San Salvador on the weekends. That's their place, the beach retreat. But mm -hmm. it was wasn't really developed. You obviously didn't have places like Garden at that time and, you know, high-end accommodations like that. Mm. But the neat thing is, is even as you've seen these bigger resorts and nice upscale places come in, mm. the character of El Zante has mostly stayed the same. Mm. So it, it really didn't feel that much different. Mm. Well, I mean, but well, it's a sleepy town. You don't have the big hotels. What's the community like? What are the people doing, right? Like for work and all that stuff. So the community really does revolve around tourism. Mm. People are 
caretakers for people's beach homes. They mm. work in the hotels. They work in the local restaurants. Mm. There's a little bit of fishing going on. And you know, a lot of people still have cornfields that they mm -hmm. grow the majority of their food. They call them milpas here. Mm -hmm. and they have their bean patch that they, they sow. Mm. That's kind of changed a little bit since when we first bought. You have, mm -hmm. you have less people working in agriculture. But in general, most of the people here kind of live hand to mouth. And it's uh, a simple life, but a pretty good life. Okay. And, and like, I noticed that there's been tons of development. So tell me the story of like how it's changed since you first bought that house. And like, did you start living here right away? What happened? What was the story then? Initially, we would just come down for mm. anywhere from a couple weeks to mm. a few months every mm. year. Mm -hmm. And about eight years ago, we really felt like we wanted to make this home. We mm -hmm. started getting to know a number of people that were working in local churches mm. or were missionaries here. And running children's homes or working with women who've been victims of sex trafficking or mm -hmm. working on educational initiatives and we really wanted to kind of throw our support behind those efforts and mm -hmm. so we started thinking you know should we start something here what can mm -hmm. we do mm -hmm. and we really felt led to instead of trying to start our own thing to get behind what we already saw happening here mm -hmm. and try to support these people and give them the resources make sure their families were healthy make sure that those who are experiencing trauma and the work that they do could get uh, counseling and that sort of thing. And so mm. we started a ministry that basically supported the efforts behind the scenes. Mm. We have two guest homes that these people can use for up to 10 nights a year. Mm. We bring counselors down from the U.S. Uh, mm. a couple times a year. We do a retreat once a year. Mm. And so that was kind of how it all started. Mm. And then also as part of that, in the two communities where we have the guest homes, we wanted to start doing educational initiatives mm. and you know, really focus on deterring kids from entering the gangs and from mm. being able to start to dream about building a future in El Salvador and building the Salvadoran dream. And mm. so that was kind of an offshoot of what we were doing. Okay, well, tell me more about the kids and like these gangs. You know, obviously, El Salvador was known as like the murder capital of the world for a while. What's the story behind that? What was going on? How did you know, these kids join gangs. What was the deal here? I won't get into the full history, mm. but the quick view is that there was a civil war here in the 80s. Mm. And so during that time, a lot of people fled to the U.S. Mm. and wound up in rough neighborhoods in places mm. like L.A. Mm. And so actually the MS-13 and the 18th Street gang that are famous in El Salvador now mm. actually started in L.A. Mm. And then a number of those people were deported back to El Salvador and it was just at the time that El Salvador had come out of the end of the war. Mm. There wasn't really a structure to assimilate these people with this past you know, criminal activity in their history. And so they brought the gangs back to El Salvador with them. And they, they kind of exploded in this kind of power vacuum after the war. Mm. And so when we initially bought our place, that was still on the uptick. Mm. And it seemed like maybe it would start to get under control but then when the financial crisis hit in 2008 mm. that's when things really started to get bad because a lot of the opportunities here started to dry up there's so much of a tie between the u.s and el salvador and so people that were working in the u.s were sending less money back mm. the businesses here were suffering and so you had more and more people entering the gangs and it it really became kind of endemic where youth saw this as, hey, this is a pathway for me to gain respect. Mm. A lot of them, their, their parents are living in the U.S., working, and so they're with relatives that, you know, have a lot on their plate and so aren't able to really supervise them, and so they felt like the gangs were a family for them. Mm. And it was a 
something for them to feel like they were like respected and mm. so it really became a huge issue with kids as young as 11 12 mm. entering the gangs and sadly oftentimes they were the ones they sent out to you know kill people wow and so there's like gang warfare or something to that effect is it just in el zante or all over the country what was the deal at that point no it was definitely all over the country mm. i mean el zante has been a little bit sheltered from some of that compared to some other places although mm. we've had our, our mm. definitely rough mm -hmm. patches here i mean mm. there was one time during 2016 where there was three murders like within three weeks mm. but it's, it's in the last few years it's like we're living in another world here like all that's gone away there's all this development coming in there's oh. all this excitement about the future mm. and so it, it's hard to believe that it wasn't that long ago that people didn't feel safe here okay so tell me what happened so like you're talking about how things sort of changed around five six years ago 2016 ish what's the thing that changed right like you have all of this gang activity 2008 to 2016 then something sort of turns around what was it what we saw locally here was what some just really promising young men and women in the community start to think about being mentors and start to invest in the youth here. And mm. so specifically Jorge Valenzuela, who's mm -hmm. kind of the, the main thrust behind uh, Bitcoin Beach here on the ground, mm. he had a vision to, to really start investing in these young kids. He knew their story because his dad was gone for mm. his whole life, basically. His dad went to the U.S. You know, when he was young, and so he grew up without a father. He saw you know, a lot of his friends join the gangs and lost a lot of his friends. A lot of his friends mm. died along the way. And so he really wanted to see a different vision for the youth here. And because of that, he had come, started coming to us with these different ideas. Like, hey, mm. let's start providing scholarships so kids can go to university. Mm. A lot of the kids here don't go to high school because there's not a local high school and there's not a safe way for them to get to high school. Let's see if we can raise funds to buy a vehicle and pay a driver to transport these people back and forth to high school. Mm. And so we started, you know, kind of one by one implementing these steps, bringing in English lessons so that people could get better paying jobs. And you could see the kids start when they saw this opportunity in front of them instead of just you know following their friends in the gangs or thinking well I'll just sneak into the US once I turn you know 18 and then mm -hmm. you know try to get a job there working illegally they started really getting a vision to build a better El Salvador mm. and then when Bitcoin came on the scene it just kind of supercharged that yeah yeah so tell me more about when Bitcoin came on the scene because you were obviously part of that and like around what time frame are we talking about and you know, how far along was this sort of like revival in sort of desire to invest in their own community come along and so on? Yeah, it was probably mid-2019 where mm. this idea to start using Bitcoin came along. We were introduced to somebody who was excited about the work that we wanted to do and mm. was a Bitcoiner from the early days, <laughs> I think was, was mining, you uh -huh. know, back uh -huh. early, early days. Uh -huh. And so wanted to use this Bitcoin they had accumulated over the years to really have an impact on the world. Uh -huh. But they had a vision that it wouldn't be just the monetary value of it. It uh -huh. would be what Bitcoin can teach you as you start to embrace it and incorporate in your life. Uh -huh. And so that was one of the challenges they came to us with was, we'll support this work you're doing, but you need to show us how you're going to integrate Bitcoin mm -hmm. and how you think that's going to impact the lives of the people that are being part of this. Uh -huh. And so... It took us, you know, a little while to kind of formulate a plan, but mm. in the fall of 2019, we started launching these programs. It was kind of funny. I initially thought, well, because this is money, we should, even though we were pretty youth-focused, we uh -huh. thought, well, we better 
talk to the parents first and focus on them, mm. you know, because this is money and serious. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we start talking to the, you know, people my age and <laughs> their eyes just glassed over and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no interest. And so we kind of uh, on a whim started using Bitcoin to incentivize the youth in some of the youth programs, specifically collecting trash in the mm-hmm. river and some of the other things we were doing. Mm. And we saw how quickly they got it, how mm. for them it made sense that you would have a currency that you could use on their, your phone. <laughs> and they started actually doing their own research into what gives Bitcoin value. <laughs> Why does the value go up and down in dollar terms? Like, mm. how is it a money if there's no government behind it? And mm. we realized as people hold Bitcoin, mm. they become much, much, much more likely to do their own research <laughs> and to want to try to understand it. Mm. And so that was eye-opening for us of, hey, we shouldn't spend so much time trying to educate people up front. We need mm-hmm. to get them using it first and mm. then bring the education in. Mm. Wow. So they started using it. Well, you used it as an incentive for them to pick up trash or whatever. But they then started learning on their own. And then what happened? Like, did they like, go tell their friends? Or did, did you get more people involved? What was the sort of next step at Bitcoin Beach? Yeah, they start, well, first they start saving for the first time in their life. Like, I mean, these are kids who had never had more than a few mm. dollars probably at any mm. time that accumulated a few hundred dollars in Bitcoin <laughs> and bought themselves a new phone or uh-huh. helped their family with a medical bill. or uh-huh. did, And so they were realizing in the first time the agency that they had in their own life that they mm. could actually be productive and, and save mm. and accumulate wealth. They could start businesses. And so it was really like, yeah. It really warped their minds. They were because in the past they'd always felt like, oh, they're just destined to follow this this same kind of path of you know just survival. Uh-huh. And now they felt like, wow, I can actually dream. I can think about a better future. And uh-huh. I think I was mentioning to you earlier, uh-huh. we saw this bleed into not just the finances, but uh-huh. actually their view about education. Uh-huh. It's always been such a challenge here to encourage the kids to stay in school because they felt like. Why? There's not mm. going to be any better job opportunity. I'm better mm. off just working now and mm-hmm. making money than to waste more years in school and wind up in the same kind of menial job. Mm. Now they realize that like, wow, just like I don't want to spend my Bitcoin now because <laughs> I think it's going to be worth more in the future. If I invest in my education now, if I go to high school, if I go on to university, mm. I can actually make a lot more money in my lifetime and actually work in something that I enjoy. Mm. And so it was, and I wasn't expecting that at all. I, I was, you know, it was the last thing I was thinking of mm. and it, I wouldn't have predicted it, but we started seeing this. And as we started questioning the, the kids, you know, they couldn't put their finger on it right away, but we started realizing, wow, no, their mind is actually being altered by using mm. Bitcoin. They're mm. thinking longer term. They're having lower time preference. Mm. So they're starting to have lower time preference, but their parents are still probably not quite involved. So what's changing sort of within the families as the kids are sort of coming home and talking about Bitcoin and all that stuff? The parents, I think, are more excited than anybody because they're seeing their kids for the first time in their life, like excited about school. Uh A lot of them are seeing their their kids actually be able to help the family out financially. And Mm. so instead of the kids asking their Mm. mom or dad for money that that they don't have, Mm. they're actually, hey, I picked up milk on the way home. I picked up tortillas. (laughs) They have their own money. Mm. And I think their parents are kind of blown away that 
mm -hmm. wow, our, our kids are interacting in this like international world mm -hmm. now. Like they're mm -hmm. they're making connections with people in in Europe. Mm -hmm. They're opening up job opportunities that they can work online and and mm -hmm. earn a you know a U.S. or European kind of salary without actually having to leave the country mm. and so with that you see the parents you know start to get really excited of, mm. of course there's some that, that don't see it and there's mm. some that are skeptics <laughs> and i'm not saying it's a hundred percent but you've seen a vast change in just the mentality and the hope for the future it mm -hmm. used to be like but no the future is just going to keep getting worse and worse <laughs> now there's this real belief that no there's a future in el salvador and for a lot of them, they're debating, like, actually, I think there's a more of a future in El Salvador than there would be if I go to the U.S. And so you're seeing them kind of wrestle with that mm. and make those decisions to invest in their own country. And you can kind of see the investment all over. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier, just even a few years ago, there was just sort of trash everywhere. But now, like, you know, there are these, like, garbage bins with a Bitcoin logo on them and, like, all the garbage is in there, right? Like, just little things like that. Of course, you got hotels like this, which are sort of like luxury-ish hotels. And, you know, you got lots of other hotels. I mean, we were driving through the neighborhood earlier and you saw like tons of hotels. Many of them are fairly new and stuff like that. There's development, activity, civilization building that seems to be happening here. I guess they're being encouraged by that. Yeah, and it's, it's driving community pride where mm. they want to see the trash being picked uh. up. They want... <laughs> To, you know, they're proud of, uh -huh. of this place that they live. Uh -huh. They're proud to be Salvadoran. Mm. And you didn't see that a lot in the past. And mm. so it's really, and I think that is the kind of missing element to development mm. in the world. You see, you know, these big international organizations come in and try to do development in different places. Mm. But there's always something missing. And mm. once the money stops flowing in, a lot of times these projects fall apart. Mm. But if you can incite that hope and incite those animal spirits in people mm. where they believe there's a better future for themselves. Mm. They believe it's worth risking and saving and foregoing current consumption mm. for the benefit of the future. That's how real development happens. Mm. And they're saving, they're you know, planning different things. And I mean, we were talking earlier about like the different types of jobs that they can get. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are the opportunities that they have that are sort of enticing them or giving them hope? So we're already seeing, and it is definitely early stages, but we're oh. already seeing a number of Bitcoin-related companies come in and mm. start to hire them for customer service type mm. jobs, people that are qualifying customers and verifying ID. We actually have an architect student that's working for a, a lighting company in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and helping them put together bids mm. for uh, construction projects and the reason they were willing to hire them is because it was easy to pay him because they mm. could just send him bitcoin <laughs> and mm. so even though that's not directly bitcoin related it's an opportunity that wouldn't be here if bitcoin wasn't a currency here in el salvador mm. and so they're getting in you know it is on the bottom rung mm -hmm. but those are the bottom rung to a very promising industry with jobs even on the bottom rung that mm. pay significantly more than what local jobs would pay. Yeah, and that sort of can bring it back, right? Like after working some of those jobs for a while, they can start their own things over here and see the opportunities and sort of like the demand for different things. I mean, like the fact that you have hotels like this here, like that's a lot of demand, right? Like for real estate or construction and things like that, which, you know, you can definitely do here and make a 
pretty good amount of money doing if you just sort of know what to do. And they seem to be getting those skills. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing some of the younger people here that kind of see that opportunity. Yeah. They're buying real estate. They're, uh -huh. they're subdividing and selling off lots and, oh. you know, making more in one deal than their parents could make in a couple of years. <laughs> and so, no, we're definitely seeing them you know, catch that vision and realize mm. the opportunity that's here and that they want to make sure that they participate in it. And that's why all the classes and the different things we focus on at Bitcoin Beach, from mm. the computer classes to the marketing classes to the English classes, we're trying to give them those skill sets so that they can be entrepreneurs, they can start their own businesses, mm. they can work for these bigger international companies that, that pay well, they can work from these Salvadoran startups that mm. we're starting to see, mm. and they can build this future that they're excited about. Mm. Because it's if the development comes and the locals don't participate in it, if they're not the beneficiaries of it, it, it it's really of no value <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And so mm. that's what we're really focused on is making sure that all this new funds that come in, that it really flows into the, the hands, into the families of the local community here. And it's definitely doing that. What's absolutely remarkable about like walking up and down Bitcoin Beach is everybody takes lightning, right? It's like... Okay, there was, uh, you know, yesterday we were walking, I think, with the Mexican delegation, right? Uh, by the way, there were a bunch of Mexican senators and diplomats that were here to observe what's going on here. And we walked down the street and there was a, I don't know, I want to say like a 14-year-old girl on the side of the road making empanadas, right? Like, not even using any electricity. She had like a wood-burning, deep-frying oil thing so she could, she could make empanadas. And she took lightning, right? Like, not even electricity. She, she's, like, making it on a little table, and she's like, we're like, how much is this? Like, it ended up being, like, $1.50 or something like that. And, yeah, we, she just made it for us, paid in lightning, and she's able to be an entrepreneur. And but we were talking about this earlier, right? Like, we, you were saying how for a lot of El Salvadorians, they're... It's sort of used to sort of a fiat mentality, right? Like you have to stay within the rules and do what people say instead of having that entrepreneurial mentality of, you know, figuring out what the market wants and trying different things and risking things. And that seems to be something of a transition that's happening right now. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, El Salvador has, has really always been kind of a top-down society. Mm. There's, you know, 13 or 14 or however many you want to say families here that mm. control the majority of the wealth. Mm. And the majority of the people have always basically been, you know, groomed to be employees. Mm. And so they're kind of taught, wrote, learning. They're mm. discouraged from a lot of times taking initiative or thinking from themselves. And so you've had that kind of historically that there was a big separation between the controlling class and the rest of the people. Mm. And we're really seeing those walls start to come down now because Bitcoin really liberates everybody. It gets the gatekeepers out of the way. You don't need a bank account anymore to operate, you mm. know, a, a small, like the business <laughs> you were, you know, you were talking about. That without Bitcoin, there's no way that this girl could take electronic payments. Uh, yeah. Now she can do lightning payments uh, better than most Bitcoin, or you see at a Bitcoin conference. <laughs> I mean, she's literally doing them every day. Mm. And so it's really had transformative impact they just realize hey it's it's a level playing field now mm. we have the same tools available to us that mm. the big businesses do and like you were mentioning just the fact that the mexican delegation <laughs> it was here for people who know anything about latin american politics like mm. that says so much because historically mexicans have kind of looked down on central americans mm. like mm. mexico was the superpower and central mm. america is kind of the back 
waters. But mm -hmm. now you have Mexicans like super excited about what's happening in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. I have a, a good friend of mine who's it from Mexico. He called me up. He's like, man, everybody's so excited that I went to El Salvador. They think El Salvador <laughs> is like leading the future. And so the fact that even within Latin America, you have other countries here looking to El Salvador as, you know, a leader to follow. I mean, mm. that is shocking. And that mm. brings pride to the Salvadorans and makes them want to stay in El Salvador and invest in their country. Yeah, and that's very interesting because there is sort of like this little brother complex that El Salvador's had for a while. Now it's like, okay, there's something to be proud of. And, you know, they seem to you know, I was told at the airport, for example, like, uh, oh, you're into Bitcoin. Yeah, you, I think you're going to really enjoy your stay. <laughs> you know, like, they're almost treating Bitcoiners a little differently. Is oh. that right? Or yeah, what's going no, on? If you're a Bitcoiner, you're a VIP. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of how it is in most of the world. I mean, uh, you know, some countries you're afraid to tell them you're into Bitcoin because uh, they'll think, oh, you're uh -huh. a drug dealer or a uh -huh. money launderer. Here you say, oh, I'm here for Bitcoin. I mean, they'll roll out the red carpet. Uh -huh. I mean, they really want Bitcoiners in El Salvador. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I have met a lot of Bitcoiners in the past, but, like, in the past couple of days, I've only been here a couple of days, yeah, I've met so many people from other places that I know from Bitcoin, and it's like, oh, you're here too? Like, what's going on? Like, there seem to be a significant number of people that are coming here for the fact that it's Bitcoin Beach. I mean, it, it's kind of like being at, uh, you know, Miami during the, uh -huh. the Bitcoin conference. You're uh -huh. at a restaurant and you see uh -huh. other Bitcoiners. That's uh -huh. how it is in El Zante all uh -huh. the time. Like, yeah. they're just continual people coming here and Bitcoiners now view it as a place they need to make a <laughs> pilgrimage to. And then once they visit, they don't want to leave. And so they're buying properties here. They're starting businesses here. And I really think 10 years from now, mm -hmm. this will be the hub of the Bitcoin world. Like when you want to do a podcast, you will meet up in El Zante. <laughs> if you want to have a business meeting, you will meet up in El Zante. I mean, I think uh, that's the direction we're going. I mean, that, it's certainly true. I, I didn't even know Max and Stacey were here until like maybe a couple days before. I'm like, are you in El Salvador? They're like, yeah, are you coming? I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to stay at the Garden Hotel. Oh, that's where we are. Uh, it, it's been absolutely like amazing just being here and like seeing all the Bitcoiners and I mean it's also super beautiful I like I just can't I can't go on about like how beautiful this beach is and how like wonderful the sunset is and how relaxing this place is it's almost like I'm I have to like slow down and like relax to like match the vibe of this place but oh man like so tell me more about the other people from Latin American countries and what they're doing here. Because it does seem like, not just like people from Mexico, but you're getting people from Guatemala and Nicaragua and I don't know, the, the other neighbors. A lot guy. of Brazilians uh -huh. are coming in, uh -huh. a lot of Venezuelans. Yeah. No, I mean, people see this as like, this is the hub. This is where you need to be. Uh -huh. And so it, it's fun because if mm. you it would have told somebody that a few years ago no. about El Salvador, they just would have laughed at you. Uh. <laughs> and now it is it's the place to be seen. They want to mm. have their picture taken in El Salvador. They mm. want to have people know that their company is a part of what's happening in El Salvador. Mm. And so that's just remarkable. What companies are getting involved here? Because I know there's... You know, obviously we had La BitConf and uh, I think you had your conference here as well. So, like, who's coming here and what are they doing? How are they helping the local population and so on? I mean, it's been across the board and uh -huh. I don't know who's publicly <laughs> with their stuff and not, but, uh -huh. like, the folks from Bitso are here, mm -hmm. like, uh -huh. on a continuous basis. Obviously, uh -huh. uh, Athena, Strike, mm -hmm. Galloway Money, which mm -hmm. has really been the muscle behind the Bitcoin Beach wallet and mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's happened here. I know uh, there's another 
I think it's Chainbytes is another mm -hmm. uh, Bitcoin mm -hmm. ATM company that's here. Mm. There's, I can't remember all of them in front of me, <laughs> but all I know is I get like a continued list of messages from people like, hey, we're coming into the country. <laughs> Who would you recommend as a lawyer to set up our uh -oh. legal structure? Oh, wow. You know, do you know how it works for the immigration? Everybody mm -hmm. wants to know. Mm -hmm. When are they going to release the regulations to get the, you know, whether it's a permanent visa or a passport, hopefully, in mm. El Salvador. And so... I really feel like we're at just the very bleeding edge of the first wave, but mm. I think we're going to have subsequent waves of investment and interest that come in mm. once the bond deal gets released, once mm -hmm. these other things happen. I think it's just going to be nonstop. Okay, all right. So let's talk about the political environment because you had this Bitcoin Beach thing going before Naib Bukele started, you know, becoming a Bitcoin maximalist, basically. What happened? Like, how did it go from here to suddenly becoming sort of a national thing because it's a small community you know we were in san salvador earlier today and that's a much bigger city it's like an hour away it's like a sleepy beach town for surfing somehow it's now like it went from a sleepy beach town to the entire country what happened I think a huge part of it was when Peter McCormick came uh -huh. right after the bitcomp in uh -huh. 2019 uh -huh. and he was the first one that kind of put us on the map uh -huh. in the Bitcoin world. Mm. And I think from that, there was a writer for Forbes that mm -hmm. heard that podcast. Mm. And so she did an article and Forbes, and it was a very positive article about mm. what was happening in El Salvador. And mm. I think that was literally like the first time there'd been a positive article <laughs> about El Salvador in like a mainstream publication uh -huh. like Forbes. And uh -huh. so I think the government officials here took notice of, uh -huh. wait, what's going on here? Like, we're being talked about in Forbes and uh -huh. not because of gangs and murder uh -huh. rates, but because of financial innovation using uh -huh. Bitcoin. And so after that article, we started really reaching out to the different government ministers here. Mm -hmm. so all the projects we do are, are social projects. We're you know, focused on education and those sorts of things. And so we started reaching out to like the Minister of Tourism, Rana. She's amazing, you know, forward-looking. She has a real heart and vision for seeing this country be transformed. And so she would agree to take meetings with us. And we'd mm. start to explain to her, hey, these are the projects we're doing in El Zante, but it goes way beyond this. If mm. we can get El Salvador to adopt Bitcoin as an official currency, mm. you will see a huge influx of Bitcoin tourists yeah. that will just want to come here and spend Bitcoin. Like, like yeah. they'll literally come here, want to buy properties, want to buy second homes, want to uh -huh. buy stuff that they don't even necessarily need and they'll just give it away, but uh -huh. they want to be able to spend Bitcoin. And so, mm -hmm. and you'll see this huge influx of people who financially uh -huh. have, have resources behind them. Mm -hmm. And so you'll bring in this whole new class of tourists but also because of the changes that we're seeing in the workforce and the ability for people to work remotely, mm. you have this whole new huge market of mm. people who are not locked to their desk mm. and they don't want to live in San Francisco anymore. <laughs> they want to go somewhere where they can go on the beach in the morning and go surfing in 80 degree water. They don't want to live in New York City in the mm. winter. Mm. They want a place where they can go where they don't have to shovel snow every morning. Mm. And now they have the freedom to do that because they can work remotely. And mm. so El Salvador is in the, the same time zone as the U.S. Mm. It's a short flight. Mm. They use both Bitcoin and the dollar. So mm. you, whatever world you want to live in, you can live in that. And so it's a very convenient place for these people that are looking to escape mm. 
mm. and have a second home that they can spend you know months every year in. And so we started pushing these things <laughs> on the different ministers, the minister of the economy, kind of the mm. same thing. And we also really pushed on them. You could literally change the narrative about El Salvador overnight if mm -hmm. you guys adopt Bitcoin. <laughs> like, there's nothing else you could do. I mean, you couldn't pay a publicity firm a billion dollars and get the kind of good publicity uh -huh. that you could get from making this one choice that's going to benefit your people in all these other ways. But it will bring investment. It'll bring businesses that want to locate here. Mm. There's really no downside to it. You'll have this whole narrative change mm. and this energy that comes with it. Mm. And so... I think the first time we tell them that, you know, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then they, you know, they see the Forbes article. Then they see Bloomberg do a piece. Mm -hmm. Then they see something else. Then they come back and want more information. And, mm -hmm. and so we kept pressing on them. Mm -hmm. This is a way to change how the world views El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, we also said, hey, this is a way for the president to cement his place in history. Like, mm -hmm. if he wants to go down in history books, <laughs> this is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. And he listened, right? Like, so... What was that like when he announced that, you know, Bitcoin would be legal tender in El Salvador? That must have been at least a little bit of a surprise for you. I think you were in Miami at the time. I was in Miami. Uh -huh. I started hearing rumors uh -huh. a few weeks before. Uh -huh. I knew there was something going on with Strike because uh -huh. they wouldn't return my calls because <laughs> I knew I was going to ask them questions that they weren't allowed to answer. Uh -huh. And so I knew there was something going on, but mm -hmm. I really thought it would be a much smaller step. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize they were going to go all in to that <laughs> level. I thought maybe they'd start accepting it for taxes uh -huh. or something like uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. So when they announced what they were actually doing, uh -huh. and I realized how huge and all-encompassing uh -huh. it was, uh -huh. it really took a couple weeks for it to really <laughs> settle in. It, it uh -huh. felt like every morning I wake up and I'm like, wait, did I dream that? Or did mm. that really happen? Mm. Yeah, and of course, he made that announcement. He got it through Congress and now it's legal tender here. They, you know, rolled out the, I guess, the Chivo wallet and everything else. So what's that been like? The rollout and sort of like adoption of Bitcoin? Is it smooth? Is it rough? What's going on here? It's rough and messy. Uh -huh. I mean, <laughs> anything you're going to roll out in three months uh -huh. is going to be rough and messy. I don't uh -huh. care how you slice it. There's definitely been challenges within the Chivo wallet. Mm -hmm. I honestly told people, no, there's no way it's going to work on the launch date. Mm -hmm. it's the people I talked to in the tech space said, no, there's no way they can do it. They somehow had something out <laughs> that kind of worked. So I give them props for that. I think now they've made a lot of updates and I'm mm -hmm. hearing, you know, encouraging things. There's still a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But, you know, look how long it took the U.S. government, you know, with I don't know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars they spent on the U.S. healthcare thing. And I still don't <laughs> think the system really works. And uh -huh. that was, a, you know, smaller endeavors. So I think we have to be realistic that mm. these things take some time. Mm. But I think all of the other benefits that came with it, mm. the investment, the change in narrative, mm. the excitement in the, you know, of people thinking that El Salvador is leading the way instead mm -hmm. of falling behind, that's actually all been much more palatable than I had assumed mm. it would be. I mm. thought it would take more time for businesses to warm up to El Salvador. I thought mm. it would be a couple years before they were starting to knock on the door. Mm. But I mean, they were literally, like when the law was announced, <laughs> I talked to people who said they like were flying to, you know, from Saudi Arabia to Mexico on vacation and they changed their flight at their connection and flew mm. to El Salvador instead because no. they wanted to see what was going on here. I mean, there mm. was literally plane loads of people that started coming in mm. and it hasn't stopped. I mean, the <laughs> conference, is that we had in November. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not 100% on this, but I think those are the biggest international conferences that El Salvador's ever had. 
and those people almost probably 90% of them couldn't have pointed out El Salvador on a map like <laughs> a year and a half ago mm. and now they were there at the conference spending money in the country setting up businesses in the country mm. hiring remote employees in the country and I didn't meet a single person who said, oh, I was disappointed in El Salvador. Or, yeah, it was okay, but I don't think I'll come back. Everybody said, oh, I don't want to leave. I'm already booking my next trip. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, that's why Max and Stacey are still here, right? Like, they came in November, and they liked it so much. They're back. And, of course, there's, like, that volcano bond that's going on and all sorts of things. So let's dig into the weeds a little bit because the politics here are very interesting. You had the Civil War. And then, like, 92, there's this stuff going on, and you had, like, traditional parties. From what I understand, Naib Bukele and his, you know, colleagues or the members of his party in Congress are a very different breed than the people that were in power before. Can you talk about that a little bit and what the politics around here are like? Well, first of all, they get things done, so that makes them very different. Um, you know, the politics here were, were similar to the U.S. You mm -hmm. had your, you know, your right wing, uh -huh. your left wing, and you had... They kind of traded power back and forth, and it really didn't matter who was in power. They looted the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the, the name's blanking on me right now, but the one who, who fled to Nicaragua, mm -hmm. it's, it's alleged that he left here literally with trash bags full of $100 bills mm -hmm. when he fled to Nicaragua wow. when they were trying to arrest him for looting the country. So <laughs> that was the history the, the, of the past four presidents. Uh, mm -hmm. Three of them were indicted for stealing millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. The last one probably will be at some point. I mean, it just seems to be the history. And so that was the sense here was you got into political power in order to enrich yourself. Mm. And Naive is kind of shaking that up in that I really don't think that he's after money. I don't think that this is a trying to grab power in order to get money. I think he really wants to build a legacy here mm. and wants to go down in the history books. Mm. Now, that doesn't automatically mean that it's going to go well. <laughs> There's lots of people that want to go down the history books that wind up being very bad. But uh -huh. I really think that the motivation here is to transform El Salvador and to make it a place that can lead the world forward. Yeah, and his party seems very different than the others in the sense that it's mostly younger people and... From what I hear, he seems to appoint people that are extremely bright and competent rather than sort of like people that have been around a while and express loyalty or something like that. Can you talk a little bit more about like how they've been governing here? Yeah, I think the majority of these people have never worked in government before. <laughs> I mean, there are people that came out of the mm. private sector mm. and... Honestly, some of the brightest people I've mm -hmm. ever... Usually when you meet government <laughs> officials, you know how it is. Yeah, but, yeah. but here you're actually like shocked. Like, wow, these people are actually thinking about all these things. Mm -hmm. They want to push these things forward. Mm. And they're open to suggestions. They're mm. not... They don't have all these, you know, mm -hmm. interests that they have to like... That they owe mm. to. They're mm. able to actually be forward thinking and do what's best for the country, not mm. what's best for the people who have, you know, backed them for 20 years, their party. Mm. And so because of that, they're very pragmatic. They're not ideologically driven. Mm. I think the only ideology that's kind of driving things is like, let's make things happen. Let's shake things up. Let's transform this country for the benefit of the people. Mm. And they are certainly transforming the country. I, I want to shift gears just a little bit because, you know, you and I are both Christian. Like, we went to church this morning and everything else. And you've been here sort of as a missionary for a long time. What has the church's response been to all of this Bitcoin stuff? Because, you know, I imagine 
for them, it, you know, perhaps being a little more conservative, maybe they'd be a little more resistant to it. What, what's been the reaction? Yeah, surprisingly, we have you know, <laughs> had some resistance, uh-huh. uh, specifically from the church in mm-hmm. the early days. Is yeah. There was rumors started that, oh, uh-huh. Bitcoin is, you know, it's what's referred to in the Bible <laughs> as the number of the beast, uh-huh. and it's, you know, mm-hmm. connected to these things. And mm-hmm. so we just had to spend some more time kind of educating them and helping mm-hmm. them understand how really the Bible is about justice and in order for there to be justice there has to be just money Mm. and actually we use your book a Mm -hmm. lot illustrations from that of Mm -hmm. helping explain to them you know why Bitcoin is a a Christian Mm -hmm. concern why Mm -hmm. we should be pushing this and why bringing just money into the world Mm -hmm. reflects God's heart Mm. and so it takes a little bit of time because Mm -hmm. it's very new thing to them and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people are suspect of anything new Mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of scams that have Mm -hmm. been connected to Bitcoin they're not really having anything to do with Bitcoin but Mm -hmm. they use Bitcoin to rob people Mm -hmm. of things and so people hear things like that or that it's linked to drugs Mm -hmm. and those sorts of things so it just takes a little time and education. Yeah, uh, but and you know, we were talking earlier about this. Their attitudes are largely changed by what they're seeing in their kids. So tell us more about that. Yeah, I think for any parent, when you see your kids all of a sudden like wanting to go to school, uh-huh. thinking about the future, talking mm. about going to university, mm. getting a job where they're earning more money than their mm. parents a lot mm. of time, mm. them watching their kids be able to do like remote transactions that they mm-hmm. can send money from their home mm-hmm. to the local pupuseria little mm-hmm. restaurant and have food delivered <laughs> like that's like shocking to these people they feel uh, like they're living in the, the movies they see in the US where people order these type uh, of things uh, and uh. send money from their phone and so them seeing the, the opportunities that come to their kids in these things and mm-hmm. how wow, there really is a better future here in El Salvador, Mm. they quickly overcome their concerns. Of course, there's still some skeptics, there's Mm. still people that think it's a scam, Mm -hmm. you know, there's still people against Bitcoin, but I think the more time goes on, the less you're going to see that. And that's because of all the good things that Bitcoin is bringing to this community, including the development that we're seeing around us and all of the, you know, all the kids that have like different attitudes and all the people that seem to be finding opportunity and so on. Yeah, I mean, and uh, like we talked about earlier today, the new housing opportunity uh-huh. that's coming here that, uh-huh. that we're doing with New Story, yeah. that these people that have been squatting and mm-hmm. living in dangerous conditions are going to have the chance to buy a home that they can actually afford to make the payments in, and they'll mm-hmm. be able to make them in Bitcoin, so mm-hmm. it'll be easy. So you're seeing, they're realizing, like, none of these things would have been happening if Bitcoin mm-hmm. hadn't come into the country. Yeah, and they're going to pay their mortgages in Bitcoin, right? Like, yeah. that, that to me is, like, absolutely astounding because from what the news story guys told me, they, uh, you know, if they wanted a mortgage, they had to, like, walk an hour to a bank and, you know, go pay the mortgage and then come back. It's like, they're not going to go do that. Like, that's just completely unrealistic. But they can pay in Bitcoin, you know, they can use the couple of hours that they would walk back and forth to work and then, you know, use that money towards, you know, paying the mortgage or something like that. So that seems to be what, uh, you know, and all of the development that's going on. And guys, like if you come here, you can see the development happening, right? Like there's new construction all over the place. It's not like cranes in a city or anything like that, but you see cement blocks all over the place. You see, you know, the iron rods, I forget what they're called, but the rebar, yeah, the rebar, like, you know, I guess they don't construct with wood here because it rots or something like that. But really kind of crazy, the amount of building that's going on. Coming out of Mm -hmm. the COVID shutdown, we had an employment program here Mm -hmm. because we really wanted to make sure we didn't lose the momentum we had. Mm -hmm. We didn't want people to, you know, Mm -hmm. become drop into despair and go back into drinking or things Mm -hmm. like that. Things Mm -hmm. that the positive 
you no. know, momentum we saw, we didn't want to lose it. And so we were actually paying people to do different construction projects, mm. you know, road repair, that sort of thing. Like, we don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> like, now, even the existing projects we're doing, we're challenged to find employees mm. to, like, move in those space because mm. there's so much natural development happening here. Mm. And so we see this happening in, like, a positive way. Mm. Not like in the U.S. where people don't want to work <laughs> because the you know, government's paying them to stay home. Mm. Here, like, everybody's working now. Mm. And you know, I've been here for... 18, 19 years, and I've mm. never seen it like that. So it brings a new hope to people. When, mm. And when they see foreigners coming in here to a country that has often been you know, spoken of very derogatively, mm. and foreigners like excited to be here and want to build homes here, mm. it makes them start to realize, wow, I'm lucky to live here. <laughs> like These other people are actually trying to figure out how to get a Salvadoran passport. Uh I have a Salvadoran passport. Uh I can build a future here. Mm. And that didn't exist a few years ago. Yeah. I never thought about like the impact on the local community when you're, you know, like when other people desire it. It's almost like a humanistic, right? Like, oh, wait, other people want it? Then maybe I should want it too. It's kind of a strange, weird dynamic there. It's just human nature. I mean, we're all (laughs) wired like that. You always appreciate something more when other people like appreciate it also. there's so much to appreciate this beach is amazing like i mean like i remember sitting yesterday at a restaurant and i just like talked for two hours it was just so beautiful the sun was going down over the water and you you see like people surfing and playing on the beach and you know you have like a nice drink and you're with other bitcoiners and talking it's like Wow, I couldn't get any work done, by the way. That, that is literally the only complaint I hear from people, is they say it's hard to get work done because I want to go surfing, I want to go uh, running on the beach, I want to enjoy the sunset. There's so much beautiful stuff to do mm-hmm. that you feel guilty if you're sitting in your room at your keyboard. Well, and, and you got Bitcoiners to talk to, so I was like, what are we going to do? Am I going to ignore the Bitcoiners? Like, and there's so many of them. All right, so tell me more about Hope House, because I think that is a remarkable story, and what you guys are building there. So Hope House was really the vision of, mm. of Jorge Valenzuela mm. to there be like a center, kind of a beacon of mm-hmm. hope within this community mm. that could be the center for all of these programs that are mm. building into the youth. And mm. so it's a physical location, but it's also a movement. Mm. You know, obviously we have the offices there. Mm. We have downstairs, basically set up as a big classroom. So that's mm. where we do some of the English classes, although we've outgrown those. So we've mm. moved a lot of those to the school, mm. but we do a lot of the computer classes there, Mm. the marketing classes, those sorts of things. And then upstairs, we actually have a like remote work center where Mm. these people that start to get jobs with international companies can work in a professional environment. I mean, Mm -hmm. you went in there, I'm assuming (laughs) there yesterday. I mean, it got nice hardwood everywhere. (laughs) Beautiful. I mean, it looks like one of the nicest offices you go in anywhere. And you're building more. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It looks awesome. And it gives these youth this inspiration because Uh they are in the classes downstairs and they realize if they can kind of continue with those Uh and persevere that they can wind up upstairs making good money, working in interesting jobs, leading Mm. the country forward. And so Mm. they really have this visual all before them of Mm. what is possible. Mm. And that's changing their mindset and how Mm. they feel about living in El Salvador. Yeah. So what's funding all of this? Like, like, obviously, it takes a lot of money to do like Hope House. Are you taking donations? What's going on? Yeah, almost all donation funded. Mm. I mean, we are building, we did build a guest house. I think Mm. you saw that's almost ready. So we're going to start renting that out to Bitcoiners Mm. to bring in some kind of more um, secure monthly income. Mm. But yeah, we have Bitcoiners who have 
generously donated have come down and seen what was happening here mm -hmm. we had the initial donor who has has really done the lion's share of stuff somebody who was in the space early benefited from it and really wanted to not change their life didn't want mm -hmm. lambos or anything like that but mm -hmm. wanted to just improve the world and so yeah we've been very blessed and, mm -hmm. and god has been very faithful to just keep providing mm -hmm. and as opportunities come in the funds come in to take advantage of those and even more than the money has mm -hmm. been just the amazing way that god has provided the local talent and people like mm -hmm. jorge like roman mm -hmm. like irvin these young leaders that really have a vision mm -hmm. and i mean they have tons of opportunities now there's tons mm -hmm. of companies that want them to come work for them do these different things mm -hmm. but they want to work in the community and uh, so they're making much less than they could be because they want to continue to focus and building into the work that's going on here. And so, yeah, I just feel blessed to be a part of it in a small way. Yeah, and it's, uh, well, I mean, not a small way. I think you've done quite a bit here. But yeah, this whole place is, you could kind of see it changing, right? Like, you know, we, we were talking about like they're tearing up a lot of stuff because they're installing sewer lines and they're, you know, paving roads in various places and there's built, like, it's amazing. It, I feel like I'm at a place where civilization is actually being built, you know, and that's always been sort of for me the point of Bitcoin is that if you have a solid money, a solid base layer of civilization, then people are incentivized to build. And it, like, there's nothing that quite captures that like El Zante does. No, it's, it's, and it's being done in a way that's benefiting the locals. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what's so exciting uh -huh. to see. You see development happen in a lot of places where it mm -hmm. actually pushes <laughs> the locals out, but yeah. that's why we're so excited about this project with New Story. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking 500 plus homes that are oh. gonna come in that the local families will have deeds, titles, mm -hmm. be able to build generational wealth. Mm -hmm. We're working on another housing development specifically targeted towards the Bitcoin community that's mm -hmm. gonna sell luxury homes, you mm -hmm. know, 200,000 to a million dollars for people that want a second home in El Zante. Mm -hmm. We're actually working right now with some people on a proposal to build the first uh, wave park in <laughs> Central America in El Zante and bring some more of the tourism more inland and uh -huh. so build like a wave park surrounded by a full-on residential development with hundreds mm. of housing units and mm. so and that's just what we're involved in there's <laughs> there's all these other people that have other projects that you know are on the table and so yeah, yeah i think people are gonna you know tell their grandkids about how it was growing up in El Salvador <laughs> when their kids and their grandkids won't believe them because of the opportunity and prosperity that will be here you know in 10 20 30 years from now yeah uh, so how are sort of like the communities around El Zante sort of reacting? Are, are they taking on more of the Bitcoin stuff? Or are they developing too? What's going on around? Because you're talking about this wave park that's more inland and, you know, that's something that you guys are pursuing. Obviously, there's stuff going on in San Salvador. But what's the rest of like this community or the greater community? What's that like? Yeah, El Zante has really become uh, an engine for growth mm -hmm. in this region. So mm -hmm. even Chutipan, which mm -hmm. is like the the department head of mm -hmm. this region, it's mm -hmm. like where the mayor's office is. Yeah. It is the bigger city. Mm -hmm. It's actually like becoming secondary <laughs> to El Zante. Uh. And the mayor's looking to El Zante as helping drive the whole region. So mm -hmm. we're seeing development happen in neighboring cities and mm -hmm. kind of like throwing a pebble in a pond and you have that ripple that goes out. Mm -hmm. That's what we're seeing as this Bitcoin development comes in, mm -hmm. as people want to be a part of this and they come to El Zante and realize, well, 
property prices are, are already getting out of getting pretty high here. Maybe uh-huh. I'll go into the neighboring town yeah. and get ahead of this. Uh-huh. And so we're seeing this spread out, and we're mm. seeing the prosperity and opportunity spread out to the region. Mm. And just like a quick thing about the COVID <laughs> restrictions, I haven't really seen any. And you know, there was kind of a funny story involving the. Conference that was here in November. What happened? How did the COVID restrictions stop here? <laughs> uh, my theory, I can't say this, I don't have this on official word, but I really think it was Bitcoin that fixed that because there w a s all these people coming in for the conference and some of them were having challenges. If their flights were delayed, then their tests weren't valid anymore. And so the government overnight. Just naive, unilaterally sent out a tweet and said, "Okay, we're getting rid of all COVID restrictions <laughs> immediately. Anybody can enter in. You don't need a test. You don't need to be vaccinated." And so I think because they are embracing freedom, they're oh. embracing the opportunity that Bitcoin brings. They're also realizing, like, yes, we need to be responsible, but we need to be. Really thinking about how we implement things, and so uh. let's focus on the health of our people. I don't know uh. if you saw the video that the government put uh. out here, but yeah, that man, it was exercise the, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, literally the most sensible thing any government has put out. Like, hey, get sunshine, get exercise, eat healthy, don't eat bad, and live your life. Like, we need to go on, and so I think it really is Bitcoin that has driven a lot of that. You know, kind of drive towards freedom that we're seeing from the government. I think they've really internalized it, and I think they've been impacted by the Bitcoiners that they're interacting with. And they seem to continue to—I don't know—like become almost like better rulers as a result. Or am I wrong? Like they're—I don't know—listening to their people. They seem to. Yeah, I, all the incentives seem aligned. I don't know. Is that an accurate description? Of what's I mean, happening? even the the pastor uh-huh. of the church. I was talking mm-hmm. to them. He runs uh-huh. a children's home, uh-huh. and he was telling me he's like, we've met with the government uh-huh. recently. He's been here for I think 20 years. Uh-huh. He's like, I've never had them actually listen to me before, uh-huh. but they're listening to us about how to implement. Different regulations when it comes to childrens that are orphans or, mm-hmm. or having that are in the system, and they're actually implementing common sense things. He was mm-hmm. shocked. He was mm-hmm. like, "I never would have thought." And <laughs> and he hasn't historically been like a raving fan of this administration by mm-hmm. any means. And uh. so for him to be saying those things that like. Yeah, no, we see good things coming out of here, mm. and I hear that from everybody. I mean, I don't know how many Bitcoiners mm-hmm. I've had come. I mean, people from big companies say. Mm. I've never had a government like welcome me in like that. Mm. Take the time, ask us what our needs are, listen to our concerns, ask us for advice on how to write regulations. Mm. And so I, I literally have not heard a negative thing from anybody who has interacted with the government here from the Bitcoin community. And that's absolutely remarkable because it's a sharp contrast to pretty much. Most other governments. Well, and, and you know, Bitcoiners are not ones to you know pull any punches. <laughs> like you know, they are are very biting with their words, and if they don't like something, they're going to tell you up front. So mm-hmm. the fact that they have all had positive responses, I think, has been pretty remarkable. And, and that's really kind of crazy to me that like a government can be that like sort of responsive, but in a sense, they're. Sort of married to Bitcoin at this point, aren't they? They're pot committed. I mean, they are all in. Like uh, they have put all their chips in on this, mm. and so, yeah, they need to to see it work. And mm. I think they really believe that it is good for for so many different reasons. Mm. And 
they are pro-business, but also like pro-not-interest business. <laughs> pro-business is actually going to bring benefit to the local people. Mm. And so I, even for us in these this real estate projects that we're working mm. on, I mean, we have like a government liaison who's like, hey, I'm assigned to you guys to make <laughs> sure that there's no hurdles in your way. Uh, like, mm. usually you bring stuff to a government, they look for every reason to yeah. say no. <laughs> uh. Like, here they want to say yes, and they're mm. like, hey, we're on the same team. We want to make this happen. And you can kind of see it, right? Like, some of the public works that are going on, you know, the El Zante in particular, you're, you know, I think you told me that it used to be all dirt roads. You know, there's, you know, some paved roads coming in. You know, the sewer system's being installed. Um, so, you know, people are getting, like, cleaner things. And, you know, there's more, more housing, obviously, more jobs, more everything. And the government's actually helping. Wow, what a concept. Yeah. I mean, I'm a skeptic always, but I'm always like pleasantly surprised. Uh -oh. Like, wow, I just assumed it would not be like this, but I'm always positively surprised. Yeah. And that's absolutely remarkable. So how do you see this like sort of going forward? What's this place going to be like in five years as, you know, all of this sort of continues to develop? What do you see for this community and El Salvador in general? I see specifically for El Zante, it really mm. becoming a intellectual hub for the Bitcoin space. I mm. see it not necessarily as a place where people are going to put their business headquarters, but mm. where the business owners are going to want to have their, their beach house. <laughs> They're going to want to hang out with other Bitcoiners. Mm. And I'm going to see the local people continue mm. to become coders, to mm. continue to move into the Bitcoin space, to be working in remote jobs. For the country as a whole, I see a real move of capital you know, it'll primarily probably go into the capital city initially as mm -hmm. people set up their company headquarters. But then as projects like Bitcoin City actually mm -hmm. start to gain momentum, I think it's going to branch out throughout the whole country. But I don't think it's going to be limited just to Bitcoin or mm -hmm. even just the tech or, or finance. Mm -hmm. I think this new image for the country, the excitement the animal spirits that it's woken up within the local people of like, hey, I'm no longer focused on leaving here and going to the U.S. Mm. Now I'm focused on building a business here. I mean, I get messages all the time from Salvadorans who say, hey, I've been in the U.S. for 20 years. I'm here illegally. I've actually built a successful business or life for myself. But I think I want to come back to El Salvador now. Like, <laughs> I think there's more opportunity in El Salvador. And so oh. I think we're going to see that continue to play out. And really once these bonds roll out mm. and... People see the amount of focus and people with serious wealth that believe in El Salvador. Mm. I think that's going to be a wake-up call for really the whole world. The IMF, mm. the elite leaders in El Salvador, and, and the U.S. government, quite frankly. Mm. And other countries that will be seeing it and say, how do we get some of this? Right? Like, We've already seen that. I yeah. mean, why do you think the Mexican delegation is here right now? Yeah. Why are all these Brazilians here? Yeah. You see people looking to El Salvador mm. as like, hey, this is a way out of this mm. kind of dead-end road that we've been in with the IMF mm. and this continue of being debtors to them. Mm. Like, we can actually be part of a financial system that is flattening the playing field. Mm. It's leveling opportunities for everybody and where we're no longer second fiddle to the world powers. Like, we can actually pursue our own destiny and they can not be, you know, subjugated to the wishes of other people. Yeah, it feels like the birth of a real like city-state almost that's not under the control of uh you know some sort of u.s or regional hegemony of some kind like it really feels like the birth of something new 
Hundred percent. And I get a lot of flack from people uh, that, oh, there's still lots of problems or this and that. Of course, uh-huh. these things don't happen overnight. <laughs> but I think historically, you'll look back in ten mm. years and say, mm. oh, it was obvious. Uh-huh. Where now, there's a lot of people that are still doubters that this is actually going to be something that is really going to transform the country. Yeah, and there is sort of like an energy here that is very different, and like. Even the way people are perceiving themselves, and you know, in a generation, I imagine that'll be very prominent in the young people as they, as they come of age, or as El Salvadorians come back and you know invest back into their country instead of just sort of letting the money leave into the U.S. and so on. It really does feel very different. Like there's a new system almost of sort of like international being that's being explored here. I really had it kind of put to me in a real succinct way by... Did you meet Harrison at the Human Rights Foundation conference where... Were you there this year? Yeah, I, I, was, remember. I okay. was, yeah. Did you meet Harrison? I don't remember if I... He was at the dinner that uh-huh. we were at. Okay. And, and so he was Salvadoran that uh-huh. was, you know, when mm. he was really young, left here from mm. El Salvador, grew up in the U.S., and he mm. was sharing with me how... He was always kind of embarrassed to be from El Salvador. Like, Uh it was seen as Uh this country that always just had problems and Uh nothing good going for it. And he was saying, like, what a difference it's made in his own life to, Mm. like, see this transformation. Now he wants to come back here. Mm. He sees the hope and the (laughs) potential here. Um. And he sees that in in other Salvadorans that are living in the U.S. Like, Mm. it's, it's transformative. And I think people underestimate how important that psychological and emotional component is Mm. in development. Mm. Countries that have nothing going for them, you know, Mm. natural resource-wise, finance-wise, when they get that belief that they can build something, they can be transformed over light. I mean, Mm. you saw that in Singapore and the Mm. transformation that happened there. That was a backwater. Nobody thought that could happen. Or South Korea. (laughs) And you see the difference that makes when that spark Uh is kind of lights that flame. And so I think we're seeing that in El Salvador. And I think that's going to spread to the rest of Latin America. Is it the fault of fiat money to like douse that flame everywhere? (laughs) Is that what's happening? Is that what you're telling me? I think that impedes it for Uh sure. I think that even in El Salvador, look, like you have the U.S. government just printing more and more money, devaluing the wealth of the people here. Like, how? why is that fair? How is that fair? And these people are locked in that system. But now they're not anymore. Now they can embrace Bitcoin. Now they have a way out. Mm. And they, they are certainly taking that and, like, sort of running with it. It really is interesting how it, like, changes the mentality. And that's not something a lot of people in the U.S. really appreciate is sort of like the mentality in growing up in sort of like a third world country or something like that is you kind of feel like a world second, you know, second world citizen from the beginning. And, you know, this is sort of like taking them a step up. And it's like, okay, I'm El Salvadorian. This is something that I can be proud of. And we are doing something different. We are our own people. And we have something that we can contribute to the world. And that, that to me, is super exciting. Because that's, that's where real innovation happens and real entrepreneurship happens and real good stuff happens. I think you hit the nail on the head because yeah. I think as Americans, we always grew up believing <laughs> we could do anything. We could be president. We could do all these things. Uh. Most people don't grow up with that. And it really, it is self-defeating. Mm. Like they feel like they can't dream, so they mm. don't dream and they wind up exactly there, not mm. doing anything with their life. Mm. Now here, they've been unleashed. They mm. feel like they can dream, they can mm. do all these things. And so I feel like you're seeing what you would have saw in the, the U.S. decades mm. ago when mm. we had that kind of more hope for the future. Mm. You're seeing that in El Salvador now as you're seeing that kind of sink in the U.S. Is that a spiritual revival, you think? 
I think there's a component to it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously as a Christian, you know, mm -hmm. I, I believe that Bitcoin is an important tool, but mm -hmm. obviously I believe that way more important is, mm -hmm. is eternity and, mm -hmm. and how we are living our lives out. And so mm -hmm. I don't want to overplay uh, mm -hmm. the role I think Bitcoin plays. That's Bitcoin adoption is not the end goal. Bitcoin mm -hmm. adoption is a tool to help bring justice into the world, the justice mm. that I think God desires. Mm. Well, this hour went by really quick, but where can people find you? Where can people learn about, you know, what's going on here in Bitcoin Beach? They can find me here in El Zante, <laughs> so I hop on a plane, but also I am behind the Bitcoin Beach handle on Twitter, and mm. so I, I try to be active there. And I, I love when people are able to make it down to El Salvador and see El Salvador for themselves. And we are at the Garten Hotel, who's, you know, been generous enough to let me record their podcast in the hallway. So uh, they do take Bitcoin if you want to book the hotel, which is what I did, which it's, it's kind of awesome. You just and the owner's real cool. And, you know, he like goes surfing every day and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's a real nice place to be. I highly recommend it. They'll pick you up from the airport. You don't have to worry about anything. There'll be other Bitcoiners here for sure, because yeah. I, I think it is the favorite of Bitcoiners, because Bo was one of the first adopters. He's he's a believer in Bitcoin, and, and like, you know, he accommodated. Didn't he buy you a bunch of tomahawk steaks when you came in to make sure you had all your meat yeah, needs? He went to Nicaragua, or he got sourced the tomahawks from Nicaragua or something to make sure that they were ready for my arrival. Good guy. So I want to give him some props. Uh, really nice hotel too and beautiful I think it's like booked out for a solid amount of time but if you could get uh, book it or something like that highly recommend it absolutely gorgeous very relaxing gorgeous rooms too so yeah just wanted to give them a shout out because they've been nice to me so you know especially with the tomahawks there so uh, anyway it was great talking to you man and yeah Hopefully we can do another episode in a few years and we can talk about all the additional development that uh, El Zante has. I, I, we may have to make it before a few years because uh. I think there's going to be a lot happening even in the next year. So. All right. Well, that's awesome. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at Unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Mike Peterson can be found on Twitter at, at BitcoinBeach. Until next time, fiat the lindest.